I feel like when I start feeling really anxious or fearful about something, it's, it's because I'm, I know that it's something I probably should be doing and I'm not. And it's like, it's, I don't know what's holding me back, but I, I try and move towards that now. That's kind of like an indicator. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Jordanier Podcast. My name is Corey Mortensen, and on this episode, I've got Nick Emiluxen, who is a real estate investor. Uh, he's under 30 and owns just about $20 million in real estate. So that's really impressive. So I was really excited to meet him at a real estate meetup that I was uh, that I went to. And we just got the talking and he had a really cool story and I invited him on the show and I think we got a lot of really great things out of it. Um, I had great time sitting down with him. He's an awesome, awesome guy. Um, and it's really cool to hear about kind of his journey and what he's done to get to where he's at today. And we talk about his real estate business and a couple other of the things that he practices to be more productive, be successful, and things like that. You know the drill by now. Um, but yeah, I'll let you guys tune in. And without further ado, here's the next episode of the Jordan Your Podcast. All right, guys, welcome to the Jordan Your Podcast. My name is Corey Mortensen, and I'll let my guest introduce himself. Hey everyone, I'm Nick Amalexon, a uh, real estate investor out here in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. How long have you been in real estate? Uh, in real estate since 2015 and in Austin since 2014. So pretty much started when I moved out here. What was kind of the catalyst for you getting started? What was the interest? What got you into it? And what were you doing before? Start with what were you doing before? Sure. So actually up until about a few months ago, uh, I was a, a Volkswagen and Audi technician for about 11 years. Um, so what led me to investing first was the fact that I knew that my job had a clock on it. It's very tough on your body. It's not a, a particularly uh, lucrative for the long run type of business. So I was looking for ways to kind of diversify my income. I started investing. Um, at first, I convinced myself I'd be the next Warren Buffett. Uh, and so I was buying single stocks thinking I knew what I was doing. I read a ton of books and, uh, kind of got burned by that. And at the same time, I had just purchased my, my first house. Uh, and I had started listening to podcasts about investing, which led me to real estate. And I was like, okay, real estate, I can control, mm-hmm. you know, like the stocks that was just completely out of left field. I'd, I invested in Volkswagen like right before the whole diesel gate thing happened. I don't know if you're familiar with that. So um, definitely started out. Yeah. Hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Came out of the gate swinging. Yeah. Um, but you know, luckily I'd, I'd already purchased my first single family home and we ended up, you know, renting that out and then buying a duplex and house hacking, um, mm. buying another single family. We stayed on that. Explain, explain what house hacking is. Oh, sure. Um, so house hacking, we bought a duplex and we lived in one side of the duplex while renting out the other. Mm-hmm. Um, in Austin, it doesn't completely cover your cost of living, but it, it certainly helps. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I know even when I was looking at, like I tried to buy about two months ago now and when I was running the numbers and I like decided I was like going to do it really quick. And before my lease was up, I had like 
a month and a half, maybe two months <laughs> okay. to like figure it out. Yeah. So obviously that didn't work, but yeah, I mean, I was trying to figure out how to do the house. I was looking at like some Pflugerville house for like, it was a five bedroom, 3000 square feet. Yeah. And even with four roommates, everything going into it, I still would have been losing a thousand a month. I still would have been spending a thousand dollars a month, which yeah. is what you're probably going to end up spending on an apartment anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, the cost to live in Austin is ridiculous, but yep. anyway, go back in. So going back to it, starting in real estate, you got the house hack, you flipped that into another investment. So yeah, while house hacking the duplex, we bought another single family uh, and then we bought through a turnkey company. Uh, anybody For turnkeys, it's basically we bought out of state. Uh, somebody already found the deal, renovated it and put a tenant in it. Um, the idea being that it's kind of like a passive investment. And actually it's it's been a, a pretty passive investment, but it was boring, honestly. that's And at that point I'd kind of have this real estate bug. Like I've gotten attracted to it and I was like, well, that's not what I want to do. What What was it about real estate that you liked over the stock market? Um, a lot of it had to do with control, mm-hmm. you know, um, especially coming, you know, from my first experience out of the gate, like I had mentioned, you know, I liked the fact that this kind of lived or, or died by how I operated it and the deals that I found, you know, mm-hmm. how, I mean, there's still things outside of your control. You can't control the market, but, you know, buying conservatively, getting good tenants in, um, you know, doing renovations that actually, increase the value of the property. All of that was stuff that, you know, was underneath my umbrella. Mm-hmm. And that's what re- what I really enjoyed. Yeah. Did you have, how did you get the first investment? What kind of tools or resources did you have to start getting into real estate and start investing? Yeah, pretty much nothing. I had a really good realtor connection mm-hmm. um, and a down payment. And we just started looking at, you know, I knew at that point in time, the best thing I could do to kind of boost uh, where we were in life was the house hack. Mm-hmm. So I knew like I'm looking for a duplex that has to be near where we, my wife and I work. Um, and then we just started looking at properties and running the numbers. Yeah. And I correct me if I'm wrong. You do, you did some out of state. Yeah. Do you I, still do it? No. Well, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say no. I have, I'm, I have a 12 unit in Atlanta that we closed on this year. Um, although I'm a very, inactive part of that deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I still look at deals out of state. Technically my, my partner and I invest in, uh, California, LA, as well as Austin. So kind of go, let's start getting into kind of the more macro lessons. That's kind of the micro that's about you and kind of your business. And we'll touch more on that later, but talk about some of the, I mean, what does it really take to be an investor? What does it really take to be in real estate or even the stock market? Like it was, mm-hmm. You got to have market knowledge. Um, I can't really speak to the stock market because I did so horribly at it and I thought I knew a lot. So mm-hmm. uh, any advice I'd give there would be really poor. Yeah. Um, but at least real estate, it's local. You know, you have to, you know, the market you want to invest in. You can look at, if you're looking at outside of your own backyard, look at, you know, macro trends. Where are people moving? Where are jobs moving? You know, where's the rent growth positive above the national average? So lots of things, I guess kind of the, the main thing you need is knowledge to start and then you need to start taking action. You can, and you need to do that kind of hand in hand, you know, like start visiting the markets you're thinking about, start talking to people who are active in the markets, networking with, you know, uh, 
other investors who are doing what you're doing, maybe going to local meetups, just kind of learning as much as you can, but while also taking action steps. Because what I did for the longest time, which is probably why I was in single family for so long, is I just thought I could do it all myself and I would just read books and articles mm. and then, you know, think about what I was going to do in the future and never really like start implementing it. Um, and that's kind of why I transitioned to multifamily. And one thing I learned is like, you just got to take action. Yeah. Knowledge and action. You can't just have knowledge. You can't just do action. Like they're both going to get you pretty much nowhere. Yeah. It's really, and that's, I talk about this in a couple of the other shows about overanalyzing and planning out so much, which is good to an extent. Mm -hmm. And you really have to kind of just get a basic idea and then start testing and start trying, start taking rejection. Yeah. You know, a lot of it, especially with real estate, you know, I'm real estate, you're real estate. A lot of it more than I think anything else is taking that rejection and being told no. Oh yeah. How do you respond to people telling you no? Uh, Well, I've gotten a lot better at it. (laughs) Uh, Now it's just kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm very active. So I'm always looking at opportunities. Mm-hmm. So somebody saying no to me just leads me to the next opportunity. And I think that's kind of the best way to look at it. But when you're not active or you're not really out there, like, you know, hitting the street, if that's your one deal you have going and somebody says no, like, yeah, that's kind of hard. But mm-hmm. if you're looking at five to six at a time yeah. or, you know, talking to five to six, whatever it is, investors, brokers, deal like that one no isn't as devastating when there's other options on the table. Yeah. When you have that pipeline, you've been putting in consistent work, you're going to have a pipeline Yeah, that's built up a little bit. So taking a no isn't as bad when you have other aspects, you have other or prospects. Yeah. And there's not so much emotional side. Exactly. When you have more in your pipeline versus when you just have one deal and you will claw and scrape and beg yeah. to hold on to that at any cost. Yeah. I mean, and it, that's bad because that's yeah. when you start really taking a discount. Yeah. You start discounting yourself, what your vision is, what your value can be. Yeah. And that applies not just to real estate. That's to a lot of different areas of life. I mean, if you're kind of, you say, okay, I'm looking for another job. Like I want to go get another job, but yeah. like, I hate where I'm at, but I've kind of been looking, I can't really get anything going. And now you're just kind of starting to think, okay, now I've just got one job interview left, but I'm not really excited about it. What do you think? What What would your advice be to that person? If you had one job interview left, you're not that excited about it. Would you say keep looking or would you say, yeah, take uh, it? I mean, it depends where you're at in life, right? If you're, if, if, if you're struggling to survive, yeah, take the job. Mm-hmm. take the job opportunity uh while still continuing to to pursue what you were looking at um you know i think it's richard branson has a quote that i'm not gonna do exactly because i'll butcher it but it's like uh opportunities are like buses there's always another one around the corner mm-hmm. like if you can't be narrow-minded oh, in like your, that. I haven't heard that one. okay yeah and it might be him i might be wrong but I'm pretty sure it's yeah, some some billionaire yes yeah, someone who's <laughs> had a lot of opportunities come his way <laughs> um you know, at least for me personally, every time I convince myself like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity and I have to jump at it uh, and I didn't or didn't win it, another one came right like right after it. Maybe not uh, a few months later, but mm-hmm. there's always, as long as you're out there looking, you're going to find more opportunities. Um, don't, don't ever get yourself into a bind where you think like, if I don't take this, this is it, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, uh, it's a very, uh, so that's that's a good question. I mean, do you follow your heart and your gut, or do you follow your head? 
I, I guess it depends. If I'm following like my life's passion, I would follow my heart. If I'm looking at investment deals, I follow my head because yeah. my heart, you know, you don't want to, one thing you don't want to do, especially when you're in the negotiation and, and looking at opportunities phase uh, for deals is fall in love with one because mm-hmm. that immediately negates your negotiation power and your ability to think rationally. And at least at the scale that I'm at now, I have other people in the deal who I have to be held accountable for. You know, I can't just go out there and blow money on a property. And if it loses value, like I actually have people that, you know, depend on me to do a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, talk about that. I mean, talk about what's really at stake for you. Sure. Well, uh, now, I mean, my reputation, which is huge. Um, you know, I've always been a person who, uh, growing up, I didn't have a lot. Uh, and even up until, you know, now I don't have much more than my, than my word. So that's, you know, something that's very important to me. I don't want to ever put myself in a uh, position where I feel like I'm compromising that. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I tell somebody I'm going to do something, that's exactly what I want to do. Uh, especially when is it that, comes... Is that something you just kind of picked up on your own or was that someone something that someone really impressed upon you growing up? I mean, my parents were very much, you know, um, the old school, you know, follow your word, handshake deal kind of people. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad especially was always very much... Uh, he, if he said he was going to do something, he would do it. Um, he, he would also say no to a lot of things, but I think there's power in that. Um, but yeah, I would say probably my parents is where I learned that the most. And then, you know, I, maybe that's kind of where I, that translates into my business, but that's the kind of people I want to deal with as well. You know, mm-hmm. I want to, if I'm talking to somebody and they tell me something, I want to know like, okay, they're actually going to follow up on that. Yeah. Um, which is actually exceedingly rare. And I think that's a good way to, you know, on a side note, distinguish yourself uh, in any sort of business is to be somebody who has a word that people can trust. Mm-hmm. So when you're trying to do business with someone, you're trying to make a deal, how do you pick who you're going to do a deal with? Is the deal more important or is that person more important than the deal? Dealing with that person. So it's still a good deal. Obviously, you're going to do it. But yeah. say they're kind of unsavory. You don't really like them. You haven't really connected. It's not a great relationship. Um, how does that translate into how you do things? Well, it makes it more difficult, right? Especially at least today in the markets we look in, it's competitive. Mm-hmm. So if somebody brings me a deal and I don't like them, I'm still going to look at the deal, whether I, I trust them or not. But it doesn't give me the, you know, the warm and fuzzies to continue to work with them. And if I have, you know, like I said, we're always looking at multiple opportunities. If I'm comparing two deals, and they're almost apples to apples, the exact same deals. I'm going with the person that I trust more. Mm-hmm. And to be to be honest, most people in this business are going to go to the investor they trust more. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of both ways. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes back to what you said, you know, just before being true to your word and true to that handshake. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. Mm-hmm. So I mean, what's what's more important in what you do in anything really. So what's more important? Is it better to be kind of creative or is it better to be more disciplined? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, wow. I would say it's, it's really important to have, and I guess this is going to be kind of real estate focused, but to have your criteria and just stay disciplined to that, you know, for what, what you're looking for, what kind of returns you're looking for, what properties you look at pretty much all, like when you get to a certain stage, you'll have what you're looking at, whether, whatever asset class you're in, right. Mm -hmm. Um, what kind of deals you look at and then being creative to look at a property that maybe, you know, 
um, others have passed over but yeah. meet that criteria. I think a lot because as, as you get more experienced, you kind of don't have to be as creative. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're starting in, in real estate, you kind of have to be a little creative. When yeah. You get, you have to start looking at things with, you start, well, you're looking at them with fresh eyes. Yeah. So you may be naturally creative or yeah. you might just be accidentally creative yeah. to try and find a deal. Cause you're, especially here in Austin, I mean, you're competing with the entire nation here. Yeah. And you just really start out. I mean, like me, you have to be creative. You have to find deals where people aren't looking. You have to look at things that people, the way people aren't looking at them mm-hmm. and really change up. But then you have to have the discipline to keep pursuing those deals and yeah. keep finding new relationships, new lenders, new investors, money partners, and yeah. things like that. So there's a lot that you could fight, I think, on both sides. Mm-hmm. And I love that question because I've had it answered. You're my eighth guest, and I've had it answered probably eight different ways. Yeah, exactly. That's a great question. Ways. Yeah, because I mean, you, I feel like you need a really good mixture of both. Yeah, to, and to be it's, it's really you. important. But I think if I had to answer, on the real estate stuff, like we're very analytical, very business, the discipline, mm-hmm. I think would be the answer on that one. Yeah. Because you really have to just be consistent mm-hmm. on it because you have, you have the follow up, you have the take rejection. You have to keep looking at things differently Yeah. and keep talking to people. So yeah. I think having the discipline moving forward is so important. Sure. I mean, would you agree about that? I would definitely agree. And I, I would say... When you're initially looking at a deal, where you need to be more creative is, at least in the space that we operate in, is the value add. Like, what can I, how can I change this property? How can I improve it? You know, not just the general renovation, but what amenities can I add? What, how can I increase the tenant's quality of life, but also, you know, the return on investment at the same time? Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, discipline helps you find that deal. And then you got to be creative about how you can really build value into it. You know, what's, yeah. what's, what are people doing that are, what can you do that people aren't already doing? Right. So kind of switching gears, what's, what's your passion? I mean, what really drives you? Well, um, what really drives me? I mean, I'm really enjoy, uh, taking something, you know, this is just uh, a function of me. It's probably why I was a technician for so long. I like taking things that aren't working and making them work. I, there's a, a, a huge amount of pride in taking something that's broken and fixing it. Um, so that, that's a big, you know, passion of mine, whether it's, you know, a, apartment complexes that are not operating the way that we feel like they should or cars that are broken down. It's yeah. all kind of, uh, very rewarding. Um, you know, I have a wonderful family. Uh, family is a huge thing with me. You know, my kids, um, are a big driving force behind me. I want them to have opportunities that I might not have had. Um, but then also to show them that, you know, really anything is possible. I grew up with a lot of limiting beliefs, um, which held me back, I think for a long time. And I think to, I want to show them, you know, you can really do anything you put your mind to as long as you're, you're dedicated. Um, and it's something that you can really work hard at. Mm -hmm. So talk, talk about those limiting beliefs. I mean, what were they? Yeah. So, you know, even maybe not even real estate wise, um, Growing up, it was always like, you know, I needed to get good grades to go to college, to get a good job, to retire at 65. And I was like, that's just the path that I had to follow, right? Like invest in a 401k. And 
I'm not saying that's a bad path for somebody who wants to do that path to follow. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everybody's entitled to follow whatever career and path. I don't, I don't, I don't buy into the people who say yeah. like college is good no, or I college mean, every, is bad. Everyone that I'm interviewing in is like an outlier. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're, and that's kind of what it takes to really kind of get out of that path. Yeah. But the norm is, you know, go graduate, go yeah. get a job invest yeah. in your retirement and things like that. Like, what do you do to break that mindset to mm-hmm. break those limiting beliefs. Yeah. And for you, I mean, that was just kind of, and that's everybody you grow up. And I think even I would be like for my kids. Yeah. Maybe you should just, <laughs> just get a job. Right. You know, play it safe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that was part of it is it, you said it right. Play it safe. Right. That was kind of like, uh, my, I feel like my internal mantra growing up was play it safe. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I chose a career that was, uh, in high demand, maybe not because I was passionate about it at the time. I ended up enjoying it, but because I knew that I would always have a job, mm-hmm. right? Because there's always going to be vehicles breaking down. Yeah, and that was a, a big motivating force, which is a horrible reason to choose a career just because you're scared that you know one day you're not going to be able to, I don't know, provide. Um, especially because starting out, I it was just me. You know, I only had to provide for myself. Uh, yeah. I could have lived the bohemian life. Um, <laughs> so that was a huge limiting belief, and then. You know, I'm also, I went to college for uh, engineering and I dropped out and then went to, you know, technical school. Um, So from that point on, I always felt like not having a college degree held me back. And Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a silly thought, especially in in the realms that, you know, I'm not in a STEM career, um, you know, science, technology, um, engineering and medical. Um, I, and I almost feel like it's better to have practical experience, you know, like now that I'm, I'm, I'm running a business, I feel like I've had, you know, an in-depth education in that probably Mm -hmm. something I I wouldn't have gotten in college. Um, not to, you know, not saying once again, anybody can go the path they want to go, but that was a huge limiting belief is I felt like, you know, I'm a college dropout. What, what am I going to amount to after this? Yeah. Um, and then I, I kind of had my life set out in front of me and that was kind of terrifying as well. Like being a technician until you're 65. Yeah. Um, which I've known a few technicians <laughs> who have been in it for, you know, 40 years. Forever, that's yeah. a, that's a tough job to be in that line. I mean, you, you retired, your body's broken mm-hmm. and I did not want that. You know? Mm-hmm. So giving up that security, giving up the option of getting a college degree, having, getting rid of the safe, kind of path that you were on what i mean what was the defining moment for you to leave all that behind um i just started to tell myself you know i read a lot of books about mindset and i think that helped a lot because i realized like oh you have these really like horrible not horrible but not really enlightening loops playing in your head 24 7 and starting to identify like okay why is that and then I really started to meet people who, you know, were my age or younger who were just out there killing it. And you, you find people who are, you know, incredibly intelligent and hardworking, but had no more, you know, legs up in the world than I did. Mm-hmm. And it's like, or even less, you know, a lot more tragic backstories. And it's like, these people are, are doing great. Why can't I, you know, exactly. like, and that was. And you always hear about it, but actually meeting those people, like, you know, and you're yeah. like, you're a normal person. Like, you know, we, you know, that was huge. Mm-hmm. No, and that's, that's a lot of the inspiration behind this podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really doesn't take a lot 
to do something even remotely extraordinary and to do really big things because and a lot of people wouldn't ever dream of owning how many apartments do you own so right now we have um i've two complexes and two more closing i have one closing next week and another uh by the end of the year so what's what's probably the estimated valuation of all that 20 million dollars yeah yeah you're how old uh, 29, 29. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, like you said, it really doesn't take this extraordinary guy who's so far away. The podcast is about bringing it home yeah. to everybody and r- making people realize that you can really do a lot. If you just kind of put your mind to it, if you get, you read about mindset, you get a, a better mindset and you start taking more risks and you do a little bit more here and there, you stay consistent on what you really dream and you have the right mindset, the right network, the right tools in place. Yeah. Cause once you have that, I mean, you really can do a lot. You can have $30 million of real estate by 29. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. uh that's one thing I would tell people. And I, I try to, um, who, you know, talk to me, it's, it's easy to point to people and be like, Oh yeah, but they had this or this wouldn't work for me because like I was that person. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm a technician. Like mm-hmm. I worked on cars like and I transitioned into this. It's all it's all very doable. And I think if you find yourself saying like, "Oh, I can't do this because or he could do it because," like you need to look at why you think that and really like try and quantify that in some way because most of the times you're going to find out you just think that because it's either fear-based or um you're basing it off like a really incorrect assumption. Yeah. What's, is there, I mean, do you have any fears? I mean, is there anything that really kind of scares you with what you're doing? Oh, tons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've given up pretty much a regular paycheck. Right. Mm. Um, and I've got, you know, a wife and two kids. So that's, you know, constantly in the back of my head. I have to provide for them. Yeah. It's not, it's not even just you at this point anymore. Oh yeah. It's, it's, you have a wife and two kids to provide for and really go and bring home Sure. Everything. Yeah. I mean, I'm a cheap date. I can, I can live on pretty much anything, but, um, I, I want to, you know, provide for my, for my family and give them opportunities that, uh, you know, that I feel like they, they should have. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I mean, that's not a huge fear. I, I'd say it's more motivating. Like we talked about, mm-hmm. um, fears. I mean, I'm sure there's tons, but I'm starting to slowly confront all of those. Yeah. I mean, how do you deal with, I mean, cause obviously there's a lot of there you can get pretty bogged down in anxiety and looking at things and being unsure. How do you deal with those thoughts? I feel like when I start feeling really anxious or fearful about something, it's, it's because I'm, I know that it's something I probably should be doing and I'm not. And it's like, it's, I don't know what's holding me back, but I I try and move towards that now. That's kind of like an indicator. Like obviously there's like rational fears. Like I don't want to walk into traffic. Right. But like a big fear for me was always public speaking. I always felt like I wasn't a good communicator. I think I've had every single person I've had on say that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, they end up doing some form of public speaking. Yeah. I mean, last the last guy I interviewed, he's a up-and-coming recording artist and musician. Oh, that's awesome. And he's like, yeah, he's, yeah I kind of have a public speaking yeah. fear. And like, <laughs> I think, yeah, it's a very common one. Um, and so I joined uh, Toastmasters. I don't know if you heard about that, but like. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about that at the meeting yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that was a huge way to confront my fears is to, you know, regularly I stand up and I, I realized like, you know, my first meeting, I'm in the, I'm in the car, like outside of this place, like, and my mind is 
rapid firing reasons why I don't have to go in. Like, oh, I don't need this. Oh, this is crazy. Like, oh, you know, like you have all these other things you could be doing right now. And it's crazy how our minds just like feed us that the moment we start confronting like something we feel like where we've been pushed away from. That was me last night. Yeah. Doing the, my first yeah. ever DJ yeah. set. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, the whole time I was like trying to prep a set like at my apartment before going. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not together. It's not going to sound good. I'm going to go up there and I'm bomb. And it's like just exactly the yeah. rapid fire anxiety and fear. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, no, I told my, this is a bucket list thing. I want to do this. It's a dream of mine. I'm just, I'm going to go. I'm going to yeah. go and it's going to happen. And it's going to be a learning experience no matter what. Mm-hmm. So I was, and I drew first and I was like, this is either going to be the best or the worst option <laughs> for me. Yeah. So I went up there and did it and it was, I, I'm so happy Yeah. that I did it. I didn't, I didn't stay home. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, I think that's really powerful too, is once you do it, you know, you're going to feel great. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe you don't know how, how great you're going to feel, feel like how much of a relief it is. Like, oh, I. I did this, like, even if you did a bad job, like my first, you know, public speaking in Toastmasters, I think I, I probably just stood up and shook for about 30 seconds. Um, but I remember feeling like, oh, you know, I freaking did it. Yeah. You know? after, yeah. Even if you go up there and bomb, like, it, yeah. and it's something you really wanted to do. Yeah. You still have the, the relief of saying, you know what? I, I actually stood up and did it. Yeah. Cause at that point you've beat 99% of the people. Exactly. You showed up who also wanted to do that. <laughs> yeah. Showing up is like 90% of success. I feel like it's just, you know, it, it, most it's, things it's aren't so, rocket science. Sorry. No, no, no it's, it's so funny. I've, I've had every guest come on and the same things are being repeated. And I don't know if it's just cause we're all reading the same books, <laughs> listening to the same yeah. stuff, but it's, it's so true. It, yeah. It's so true that it's like, okay, there's a lot of merit to it. So yeah, it's just been it's so funny to see how much is being repeated. And I think that's the most important part of hearing this and being a part of this podcast is being able to hear the same thing over and over again until it really hits home for you. Yeah. Because you could be going out and doing the same thing all the time and you'll hear the same thing, but it won't apply. Yeah. But the moment you need it, you need to hear that. Like what you just said for, I mean, anxiety is, you know, you should be doing something, but you're just not doing it yet. Yeah. I, that's the best thing I've heard yet. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That was a huge, I mean, I kind of looked, like I said, uh, to that as like an indicator, you know, where, what should I be? Why, why am I feeling this anxiety? Mm-hmm. And I, should I be moving towards that? And every time, at least recently that I've, I've felt that it's always been like a powerful move to move towards that and kind of move out. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this, but you know, growth happens outside of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and that's kind of a cliche, but like your comfort zone is that the inside of that anxiety, like when you start feeling that and then you back away, you just went back into your comfort zone. So mm-hmm. like figure out why. And you never feel good. No, like you always, you, yeah, you you're always let down. Come yeah. back to your comfort zone, you feel so small. And yes. You're like, and then, yeah. cause then you see what's happening outside what you, and you see what you would have done. Yeah. From the outside. Yeah. And that's a horrible feeling. Yeah. And most times like that regret, at least for like public speaking or performances or things like that, like you can get up and like you said, bomb and like 99% of the people are going to be like, just like happy that you went out there and did that. Cause they're not going to get up and do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you always feel like people are going to judge you so harshly. And it's like, most people are, are like yeah. decent or people. you're going to be embarrassed. Yeah. Or it's, yeah. Your reputation's going to be tarnished or whatever because you did <laughs> yeah. such a bad job. Yeah. 
But in truth, really the worst case scenario isn't really that bad. Sure. And as soon as you get up there, you realize even if you did a bad job, <laughs> most of the time it really wasn't that bad of a job. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're usually our harshest critics. No, abs- absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's great. So, I mean, has there ever been a time where it got pretty close to failing? I mean, you, you taking off and doing the the real estate investing, was there ever a time where it really came down to the wire? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, the first deal we did in Austin, um, a multifamily deal we did in Austin, there was a few times where I was like, oh, this is going to fall through. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, I had, it took a lot of effort to get to that first deal. I mean, everybody says like the first one is the hardest and I'll agree to that. You know, I, I might not have had a hard time as some people, but we probably looked at 50 deals, 40 to 50 deals, um, toward a handful before. Over, over how long of a time span? Um, oh, I started looking at multifamily probably October of 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was pretty active. I will say, um, I looked at, I looked at a ton of deals in the market. Um, we closed on our first one in August of 2019. So not quite a year, but close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, our first deal in Austin, I think we closed on the Atlanta deal in July of 2019. Oh, failures. Okay. <laughs> uh, my <laughs> failure to remember where we were right there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, getting to the point where it's, you know, you're, I've invested all this time, all these resources. I have an, you know, I have a partner in this who's kind of counting on, on me and my knowledge. And then this deal is about to fall through. And, you know, that was terrifying. And pretty much every deal I've done so far always kind of hits that point where you're like, oh, all right, this isn't going to work. Um, and that's kind of where, I guess, where we talked about in the beginning. Recently, I've, I've found power and be like, okay, well, we have other opportunities to look at as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of the first one. So I was like, oh man, I'm going to lose credibility. I'm going to lose, you know, a uh, partner. I'm going to lose tons. And was that, was that partner the same partner that you have now? Yeah. Yeah. Still the same yeah. guy. Yeah. Do you think if that one had fallen through and been unsuccessful, he'd still be I th- your money partner? I think so. Because we had, uh, I mean, we've been looking at deals before that where we didn't win, but in my head at the time, it was definitely like, oh, this is it. You know? Yeah. Back to that worst <laughs> case scenario. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how quickly that comes back. Um, and then, you know, coming close to failure, um, I mean, I don't know, honestly, it's real estate, at least what we buy is, is pretty secure. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least financially, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried. Yeah. Um, no, that's good. You can always over leverage yourself, but we we're pretty conservative. So yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's good. I, and so when it comes to, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, but what, what do you look for when you're picking your partner. What do you what what matters to you in a, in a relationship in a business partnership? What what do you think the most important part of looking at that is? What would you give advice for? Oh man, well the most important advice is got to be somebody you can put up with and that you enjoy. I mean, not just put up with, but like at least for what we're doing. I mean, you know, you're in a project for five to seven years. Mm-hmm. Like you got to make sure you can work with that person. And you're, there's not like you know, it's it's a marriage. You know, yeah. business partnership, at least on that scale, is marriage. There's yeah. no. So, what do you do to make sure that you can be in a five to seven year relationship? With, yeah. With most of the time, a perfect stranger. Yeah. Well, so how do you vet that? Yeah, a big part of that is, uh, you know, you have like the beer test, is what I call it. Like, is this kind of the person I'd have like a beer with? You know, mm-hmm. um, and some kind of a reason I have a, a meetup at a brewery, because um, <laughs> it's you know you want to be able to talk with people outside of the normal workplace. Because, you know, you're going to be subjective to things that are outside of the normal workplace. Um, 
and then just finding kind of like-minded people. I mean, you know, like in this conversation, I feel like we've touched on a few topics that were both like, yes, like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's something that we both kind of think and, you know, we are, we're wired yeah. the same way. We share a lot of the same mentality. Yeah. That's, and it goes in when you have some of the, cause you can have very, you know, just boilerplate conversations and get to know someone but it when you really figure out how they operate mm-hmm. i mean how do you really get a feel for their real personality i mean there is there like like you said the beer test like kind of could i sit and yeah. hang out with this person but when it comes down to real decision making sure what is a quality that you look for well at least for what i do a lot of the times it's not like i meet somebody in the day one we're looking at a five-year deal we start looking, oh, I'll start talking to them about opportunities. I'll start, you know, bringing them deals that I'm looking at and we'll start talking over scenarios and I'll just kind of see like, what are they actually looking for? What are their problem solving skills? Are they, are they pointing out problems that I'm not noticing mm-hmm. or are they like glossing over things that I think are a huge risk factor? Um, and then, you know, when we start actually like, being a little bit more active in what we're doing, um, whether it's, you know, on the property management side, on the asset management side, or on the acquisition side. Mm-hmm. If we're, you know, if I go to tour a property with you, like, are you professional? Because that's huge, right? You want to be professional when you're meeting with brokers uh, and going into people's homes. I, I feel like people kind of gloss over that for any real estate listeners. Um, when you're touring properties, you're going into somebody's home. So like, just be respectful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a good way to test that is to, you know, see like, how do they act to people who aren't like involved in the deal at all? You yeah. know, um, actually they're very involved in the deal, but not in the, you know, the normal sense. No, yeah, no. I <laughs> but I think what you said was, was really good. Are they asking questions? Are they bringing things mm-hmm. up that you didn't think about? Yeah. And that translates directly into, are they providing value? Yes. Are they being valuable in that situation, but also to you? And I yeah. think that can be broadcast to the whole theme of a relationship. Yeah. You know, whether it be professional or personal, mm-hmm. because when you're with your trying to make friends and you're trying to find people lifelong best friends or even just people that you can be with constantly if they're not providing value if they're dragging you down yes if they're not adding value to your life and you kind of need to start maybe reassessing that Mm -hmm. and if you're in a relationship that isn't valuable to you anymore you're not getting as much out of it as you were they're getting complacent they're not the same person anymore that all kind of ties back into are they valuable to yes you. do you value that relationship with them yeah and yeah are you doing the same yeah that's huge um you know i'm glad you brought that up because i probably would have glossed over that um but yeah I think you, a lot of people forget about that yeah. i think a lot of people take the relationships that they're with mm-hmm. for granted yeah and what they have and people change yeah people move forward and i'm sure you've maybe left some people behind oh definitely had to cut some things out of your life. I mean, I mean, yeah. can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, to just to touch on what you just mentioned, yeah, it's kind of a very cliche saying that you should find somebody who I've embraced cliche. Cliche yeah. is so smart. It, it's it's crazy. Like you you know, like you you hear it and you're like, oh, I've heard that a hundred times. Well, there's probably a reason you've heard it a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Um, but find somebody who has strengths that you don't. And it doesn't have to be your like. I feel like at least when I hear that, I always picture like the polar opposite of who I am, and that's not true. 
Like you can find somebody you mesh with very well, but they're better at a certain skill of yours. Like mm-hmm. I have a, you know, I have somebody in this market who's a great at meeting investors and marketing, and that's not a skill that I really have. Right. So, you know, I d- try and develop that, but also like that's a good partner to bring on because he's not as analytical as I am. Mm-hmm. So if we mesh well together and we have strengths that match, like you're saying, like we're going to help each other out instead of, you know, like a codependent relationship where like he can't function without me. Like that, <laughs> that's not what you're looking for. You're looking yeah. for somebody who has, you know, a good base, but also can help you in areas that you're not great at. Right. Uh, and you can help them, you know, so you've got to bring value to the table. Mm. Like in any transaction you do. (laughs) Yeah. I think when people hear value, they immediately think of money. No. Yeah. Business or anything. But I think when you, if you try and put value in more broad context of relationships and things like that, it really begins to take on a new and maybe even a better meeting. Yeah. Because I mean, I like what we were just talking about, about being in a valuable relationship, not just in business or professional or in your colleagues or anything, mm-hmm. but personal. Cause I think a lot of people, that's like the hardest part is being in a personal relationship mm-hmm. and trying to maybe analyze that or take that apart. And you're, it's good at first and now it's not, it's lost value. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely. And it's, it's huge. I mean, you know, it's always at least been told to me, I've always been trying to try to be somebody who bring value to anybody I meet, right? Mm-hmm. And like, or anybody I'm interacting with. Um, and I feel like if you're not, then reevaluate why. And if you really feel like you're not, like, where can you add value? Because you might be at the wrong table, mm-hmm. you know? And that's that's okay. Like, you Sometimes can find the right what one. what you have in that moment in time just isn't valuable yet. Yeah, Or you don't exactly. have the skill set or the knowledge yet. But that's when, and this, this is a good transition into networking. Yeah. Because when you're networking and you're trying to do something new or take on a new venture or whatever. Adding value to those people's lives is what's going to get you in the door. Yes. You just coming in with an ask and a, can I have some more (laughs) attitude? Yeah. That's not going to get you anywhere because you're just going to be some random person. They don't know asking for shit (laughs) or stuff. Sorry. Yeah. And that's not going to get you very far. Yeah. But when you just start bringing people deals Say hey, I've I think I have yes something important here. I think I might have a you know a good deal. Yeah, that's value. When you want to meet someone, make a new friend or something, take them out, buy them dinner, get them a coffee, or go meet and, and do something for them. If you know something personal about them, tie something in personally. Yeah, like that because that's gonna make it memorable for them to you, mm-hmm. and that's. And it all just goes back into it. Yeah. It shows that you care. Like you, th- you know, you think about them outside of like this, uh, you know, like you said, an ask, mm-hmm. like you're showing like, Hey, you're in a, you know, you're somebody I value, or this is a, like a connection I value. Let yeah. me show you why or how. Exactly. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, let's transition to something else. Cause I feel like we said value like a thousand. Sure. Times, <laughs> There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of value in this podcast. Yeah, but I mean, I, I really love that word. Yeah. It really means a lot to me. And I think you, tr- it, it has such a broad meaning to me now mm-hmm. than it did like even a year ago. Yeah. But so we talked about your obsession kind of shifts in mindset, a little bit of your life and journey up to now. What do you do to remain productive? Uh, well, I mean, to remain productive, I've always been a hard worker. Um, I don't feel, and, and this might be a fault, I don't feel good if I'm just, I can't sit around all day and do nothing. 
So remaining productive for me has never been uh, uh, something I've struggled with. I've always struggled to remain maybe on the correct task. Yeah. <laughs> There's the ADD in me. Um, but to remain productive, that's always kind of been a natural thing, mm-hmm. um, or at least in constant motion. Um, I'm also very recently structured in what I do. I've, I've read a ton of books about you know, being more because of my ADD and jumping from task to task on being more structured. Um, there's a, a good one, getting things done. I don't know if you read that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I haven't read it, but I know, I know what you're talking about. David Allen, I think is the author. Uh, I've tried to implement that system and I, I kind of use like a very bastardized version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one thing I, I do to remain productive. I can't keep thoughts in my head. I have to write them down. Yeah. Yeah. Great example. Uh, I, I feel like I convince myself I can keep thoughts in my head. And I can't. Then, I, yeah. <laughs> I have like a 60 second window yeah. and it's gone. Completely. Yeah. And I, I think that's fine to like know that's how you operate and totally be okay with that. And you just like you said, you've got notebooks. I'm the exact same way next to my desk or always with me in my in my um, you know backpack next to my computer is a spiral notebook. I probably go through like three a year. Yeah. Right, well, that's probably conservative. Yeah, that's but, my second one. This year. I'm almost I'm almost out. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not like I'm like, you know, writing the next great American novel, but it's like a deal, you know, idea pops in your head, you write it down and yeah. then you kind of structure I think if it I went back, I have like, there's some good, good ideas in yeah. here. Some of them are probably garbage, but <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll, I might go back to them and, and pursue another yeah. venture that I had and, and rekindle that, yeah. you know, that little project that I wanted or another dream or whatever. Yeah. I tr- and I try to look at it the during throughout the day obviously while i'm right now but then at the end of the day um to see if there's any like big tasks that i was like oh i need to do this you know mm-hmm. so i can put that in my you know my my workflow manager um uh, for the next day or yeah however so would you say that you have a pretty established routine or is it kind of just as the day comes um i have a pretty established routine you got to be kind of flexible in this because you never know like what's going to pop up yeah i i don't believe that you can schedule yeah every minute of the day sure um I mean, I have like kind of my morning routine, how I wake up. Um, and then, you know, I have, I have my productive hours where I know like this is where I'm going to get the most done. Mm-hmm. And then I have the time for like more creative projects. Um, towards, what, is, like, what is your morning routine and productivity hours? So my morning routine is, is pretty easy. Uh, I wake up, I usually read for a little bit, whether on my phone or from a book. I have Kindle on my phone because it, it's just so handy. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you a big social media guy or no? more lately i try to use it just for like business purposes uh or networking um because i don't really care what people's political opinions are um (laughs) personally i think putting them on social media is a waste of time um but um so i use it more for like business aspects and maybe i'll scroll through i try not to do that right like first thing in the morning or check emails first thing because then it's like my my brain immediately switches into like okay it's time to work Mm -hmm. um so I, i read for a little bit um, I don't know if you ever read Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning. No, but I have it, and it's like I have like a million books I need to read. But that's yeah, top five. It's a pretty quick, pretty quick, quick read, and he has a pretty good setup. I don't do that exactly. Um, you know, wake up, read for a little bit. Uh, normally, I'll at that point start getting my kids ready to take mm-hmm. them to school. Uh, come back from we live very close to their school, which is amazing. Um, I bet that's nice. It is really nice. Uh, I don't have to drive through all this Austin traffic anymore. And then I just moved. Oh, yeah. And my commute was 15 minutes. <laughs> and now it's either 15 minutes or 45. Yeah. 
it sucks. <laughs> yeah. When I when I was still working at the dealer, I I lived in I I live in North Austin and I worked in South Austin. So the oh morning was like God. 15 20 minutes fine. Going yeah. home could take 45 minutes an hour, hour and a half like if there's an accident is I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Um but yeah, I'll take my kids to school, come back, work out for a little bit. It's nothing intense, but it, you know, keeps me healthy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that's pretty much about the time I start the day, so around eight thirty nine, um, unless I really, you know, uh, got stuff done quickly. And then that's kind of my peak, peak productive hours as far as like getting like workday tasks done. Pretty like nine to five, uh, yeah. which is kind of like the typical workday. Um, I'm usually going over that by a lot. I need to probably be a little bit more structured in that, um, but there's just so much to do at this stage. So if you could go, this is a question I like to do kind of towards the end because we've got a lot out on the table already. So what is, what is something if you could go back five years, you're 24. Yeah. Right. 24. You go back five years and you can tell 24 year old you anything, any piece of advice or whatever. What would you tell him? Oh man. Well, 24 year old Nick was actually on a pretty good course. Um, you know, I just paid off all my student loans, which was great. And my wife's student loans. So that was huge. Um, I would tell him not to panic because he's just about to have his first child. <laughs> and that was, that was a really terrifying moment. Um, and then, you know, really like it's possible. I know that that sounds so lame, but like I'm, one of my limiting beliefs is like, I just can't do this. Like I had a ton of reasons why. And we talked about that rapid fire. Anytime I, I thought to reach higher than where I was, I immediately thought of, a billion reasons why I couldn't instead of focusing on, on why I can. Um, and then find, surround yourself with good people because that's been huge too. Your network, um, is really like the culmination of where you're going and like who you are. And I, I don't, I'm not saying you have to be, you know, the, the five habits of your closest friends or whatever, but mm-hmm. once you start associating with people doing that, what you want to do or at a level that you want to be at, uh, it's a game changer because their mindsets have already been changed and it's that you get that social kind of like uh, acceptance, you know, like, Oh, this is normal for them. Like they just go out and do this, you know, right. they go out and make this happen. You're like, that's, I can do it too. And that's exactly what I did when I landed here in Austin mm-hmm. a little over a year ago. You know, I got the entrepreneurial bug a couple of years ago, like my last year or two at college. And that's when I was like, I need to surround myself with these people. Yeah. Like, I need to normalize this behavior Mm -hmm. because before that it's such an outlier all it is is everything you can just see on the internet and look up and everything is so far away when you do that yeah it doesn't feel attainable it's oh yeah and it's like oh yeah it's possible you hear them it's possible anything's possible it's like well i'm not richard branson or mark zuckerberg or mark cuban or yeah whoever like i'm not these people i don't have what they have blah 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 but when you you know you want to make a change you want to do something else you want to grow you really have to change your network. Yeah. And 100%. that's when, because that really normalizes that behavior. You want to go seek out the people that are doing exactly what you want to do and just try and get around them as much as possible. Yeah. And that's what I did back a year ago. And now most of the people that I know are entrepreneurs or founders or a CEO or whatever. And, you know, it's not like, some major fortune 500 stuff, but each and every one of them are out there doing it and they're great people and they're exactly the people that I want to be like. Yeah. 
and that's what I surrounded myself with. Yeah. And so I think what you, that's, that's so important. I mean, just like you said. Oh yeah. It's huge. I mean, you're, yeah, it's like you said, normalizing it, mm-hmm. right? When it's more tangible, it, it, it increases the effect like a thousand percent. Yeah. And that's, that's another reason why I did this podcast. I was like, I want to start a podcast. I just, I'm starting a podcast. Yeah. And I just, I just did it. I wanted to do a DJ gig. I want, maybe I wanted to be a DJ. I went out and did a DJ gig. Yeah. Like I'm just going out and doing it because now I really do believe that, you know, anything I want to do, I can really go do. Yeah. Make it happen. It's not that hard. Yep. <laughs> and that's what, I mean, yeah. tie that into what you did. I mean. Oh, I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, I wanted to get into, you know, multifamily. I wanted to eventually quit my day job and focus on real estate full time. And, uh, I'm, I went out, I found people who did it, you know, and I surrounded myself with people who, who have done that. Yeah. And it was like, Oh, okay. This is, these are the steps I have to take, you know? And it's, I can, I can sit there in the same position I was in and think like, Oh, maybe I should read one more book or maybe I should find a little bit more information or maybe I, maybe, 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 or I can just try. Mm-hmm. Right. And like just start taking action towards it and just seeing how that feels and where it gets you. You know, you, you don't have to wake up tomorrow and go out and fund and buy a, a 200, you know, unit apartment complex or whatever it is you're, you're telling yourself not to do, mm-hmm. but you can start definitely taking steps towards it. You can start meeting people in your area. I mean, go on meetup.com, find what you're yeah. interested in, where you want to go and go to those meetups. Most people love meeting people who are fresh in the industry and just telling them like, Hey, this is what you should do. And like people love getting, <laughs> giving out advice. Yeah. And like, and yeah, and cause then if you're new, you go to these meetups, those people are new as well. Yeah. And so you guys can kind of grow and learn and they maybe, they know things that you don't and you know things that they don't. And so then you start really trading secrets with each other. Yeah. And that's how you really start to become really good yeah. at what it is you wanted to do. And then you're not a beginner anymore. Yeah, exactly. And I will say one thing, qualify the advice of people, especially if they're telling you it's something you can't do. Ask why they're telling you like you can't do that. Um, at least from my background, you know, being a technician, when I started investing in real estate, everybody would tell me like, oh, that must be nice. Like I was doing something like I had been gifted a silver spoon or whatever. And it's like, we work in the same position doing the exact same thing from yeah, the like, same background. You, you know me. Yes. You could do the, like, you can do this. We're the same person. <laughs> but the moment you start making the, like, and I had to, you know, leave those people behind. I'm not saying they're bad people, but it's just like, wasn't where I was at anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's just crazy. Cause like, yeah, like I had no leg up on it, on any of them. Yeah. And it's so funny cause they're probably very bitter that you've outgrown that and they're yeah. probably mad that you're doing something else so much better or whatever. Yeah. And they're still stuck there. But if any one of them came up to you and said, Hey, could you maybe help me out? I'm kind of interested in what you're doing. Can I learn from you or can you give me some advice? You'd be more than happy to. Oh yeah. <laughs> to I've, I've, <laughs> and I've tried. And that taught me one thing, like don't offer people advice. They're not ready for yet. You know, wait for them to come to you and ask, you know, how can I do this? Mm-hmm. Um, giving out. Yeah, exactly. I tried, I put something on Instagram cause I wanted to get like a goals mastermind group of like maybe five or 10 or however many people wanted to respond of the year's almost out. Tens, the tens decade is almost done. Let's absolutely crank the last few months of this year and get as much done before the new decade. Yeah. And I got zero response. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely zero response. Yeah. 
And I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you can you can uh, lead the horse to water. You can't make him drink. Absolutely. No, yeah. that's the best. That's the best metaphor <laughs> for that. Yeah. Um, talk about what your greatest skill is, what your greatest weakness is, and how you complement both of those. Well, my greatest skill uh, is being. Is this a video podcast? Mm. Exceptionally good looking. <laughs> um, my second greatest skill is. Uh, I'm very analytical in what I do. So I, I love getting into the numbers. Um, I love, you know, looking for opportunities and things that people would normally gloss over and, and trying to, you know, and have that be verified by actual like data and formulas. Uh, that's probably a very lame superpower, but I love it. Um, no, it's awesome. It is because a lot of other people aren't like that. Yeah. My greatest weakness was uh public speaking and um meeting with new people that's always been something i've kind of struggled with mm-hmm. um being so, that i'm you run a, a meetup i do yeah that's i mean that's part of the way i'm 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 getting past that right mm-hmm. I, I run a meetup i go to toastmasters i do things like like this um i go to tons of networking events now uh to to get past that right that's a weakness i have and i know like okay that's a skill i can develop that skill mm-hmm. um i guess i still kind of regard that as my greatest weakness it's probably not anymore but it's something i focus very heavily on yeah and that's awesome i mean you really took inventory of what that was you know you yeah. recognize that you did have those weaknesses and you made really concrete steps to improve on them yeah so congrats that's awesome i yeah. love that yeah i've been i've been lucky to have some great mentors in my life who who kind of guided me that way and that was extremely helpful i mean you, you almost you can do it without the help of others, but you do need a push sometimes. Somebody at least to hold you accountable, whether that's, you know, a mentor or a friend who's, you know, or however you want to structure it. But mm-hmm. having having accountability is, is huge. Yeah, because I'm, I'm pretty lazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, to be I completely honest, that, like, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty lax. Like, I'm a pretty <laughs> chill dude. So when I have a lot of stuff going on at the exact same time, like I have like five different things going on. That's when I'm most productive because I can't afford yeah. to waste any time. And that's when it kicks me into high gear and I start getting like ultra productive and really hit a stride. But when I just had like one, like if I just was working the job, I would easily just be at home. Yeah. Like playing X, like yeah. PlayStation or watching TV <laughs> or Netflix or whatever. Yeah. Which is what I was doing. Yeah. And then, but you know, I was making more efforts to talk to more people, network with more people that were doing some of the things I wanted to do and getting ideas, looking at real estate, stuff like that. And it's all kind of come into this nice little stride that I'm in. And I'm sure things will drop out and I'll change my mind and things like that. But I'm doing exactly what I said I was going to do and what I want to do. And I think that's just exactly what everyone on this show is doing. They're just doing exactly what they wanted to do. Yeah. And they've taken that step. So yeah. is there any advice that you want to end the show with and talk to, tell everybody? I mean, just to drive this point home is like, I was a very introverted technician who worked at Volkswagen and Audi and it's, it was a good job. I was proud of what I did, but it, it's not, I'm nobody special, you know, like, and I was able to get to this level and then continue to keep growing. I mean, you know, we're hoping anyways. Tons of big things coming in the future for me, um, but it's it's totally possible. I mean, is my story the hardest like upbringing? No, definitely not. But it's probably 
common to a lot of people, right? I don't, I, I haven't taken any superhero steps. It's just going out there getting knowledge and taking action and like looking past that part in your head that tells you you can't do it. I wish I, I had a better way to convey that to people. Cause I feel like I've heard that growing up, um, at least recently a lot. Um, and it took a while for it to resonate with me. So maybe it's just repetition, but you, I mean, anybody can do, yeah, anybody can do it. There's no excuse. Absolutely no excuse. Okay, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Join Your Podcast with me and Nick Amaluxen. Um, let me know what you guys thought. Reach out to me, uh, my Instagram, or send me a text, whatever, however you reach me. Um, I want to hear y'all's thoughts. I want to hear y'all's critiques, what you guys like, what you guys want more of, what you might want less of, um, highlights, whatever. So I love hearing that this has an impact on people and, and I put this out so you guys can hopefully use some of the things that we talk about in your own life, um, no matter how it applies. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, and until next time, this is Corey Mortensen with the Jordan Your Podcast.